0: We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, the music podcast that delves into the art and craft of songwriting with some of the industry's most exciting talents. I'm your host Simon Fink and today we're thrilled to have you join us for episode 306, In this episode, we have the distinct pleasure of welcoming Flight, the remarkable UK folk duo to this very podcast. Flight recently graced the music world with their third record, a self-titled masterpiece that has been creating buzz and receiving multiple five-star reviews around the world. This record is a testament to their songwriting prowess, and it features collaborative magic with the likes of songwriters like Billy Martin and Laura Marling. Joining us today is band member Will Taylor, here to unravel the magic of folk music, discuss the intention and meaning woven into their songwriting, and of course, provide insights into their future touring plans. We'll be diving deep into the heart of Flight's creativity and their captivating journey. As you soak in the wisdom and artistry of Will Taylor and Nick Hill, who make up Flight, we encourage you to explore their self-titled record to fully appreciate their work. And if you're in Australia, like myself, you might want to pay extra attention for hints about any future visits to us. Now, before we jump into this fascinating conversation, please make sure to subscribe to This Song Is Yours on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for all the latest updates. Links to all our social channels can be found in the show notes for today's episode. So let's go ahead and immerse ourselves in the timeless melodies and storytelling of Flight with our wonderful guest today, Will Taylor. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Will Taylor from Flight. Good evening, sir. How, How are you going?
1: Oh, I'm going very well, thank you. I'm It's uh, about 20 to 6 here in Nashville right now. So Mm -hmm. that's evening. That's evening time. Halloween kind of season. So it's cold and people are, you know, they seem to be dressed up here in the States. Just kind of, we've been here for three weeks and there's just sort of, they've been sort of in a kind of permanent state of Halloween. It's amazing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have you guys been able to get into the Halloween spirit at all? Has there been any uh, dressing up, any costumes?
1: No, and I feel like such a square. Like, we were rehearsing uh, in, this, in a rehearsal studio here in Nashville yesterday, which I, yesterday was actual Halloween. And and we just sort of finished quite late at about eight in the evening, and then we kind of re- went to a bar to eat some food and have some beers and then got invited to a house party. And we turned up at the house party, and we were just sort of just looking like very normal people in the context of this incredibly Halloween-y situation. And we just kind of felt... oh sad we've not got we've not yeah the answer to your question is no we haven't got into the Halloween spirit
0: (laughs) no look that's very very fair it's um we were just discussing before we were recording that we are based in Australia and it's a bit of a funny thing here because I it it seems to have taken off in the last five or ten years but nowhere near as much as as America does I believe and so it's um it's very hit and miss here as well in in terms of like you kind of go to things and it's not a Halloween event or you show up in not regular clothes and it is. So um, I very much feel that kind of pain, if you will.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's not, it's got got to be 100%, hasn't it, from everyone or or not at all. Mm -hmm. And the the cynical sort of Londoner in me yesterday was just like, (laughs) everyone dressing up (laughs) so silly, you know. I need to get over myself and start, you know, dressing up as... I saw a lot of people over the last few weeks dressing up as, um, uh, a chef from the bear, you know, that series mm-hmm. set in Chicago, like just, they're just wearing white t-shirt a blue apron. So easy. Oh, my
0: thought was if I was invited to a, to a Halloween event this year, that that would probably be my go-to. Is it nice and simple? You can tell what it is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we are not here to talk about um, Halloween costumes, although I'm sure we could go on for a little bit longer. Um, we're here to talk about the brand new record from Flight, um, which is out now. It is a stunning record. So firstly, sir, congratulations on this because, um, yeah, it's a
1: beautiful, beautiful record. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we're so pleased for it to be out in the world finally.
0: Of course. How are you guys feeling now that these songs are out? I think that... Um, it's been three or four years since the last one. And I think that some of these songs have kind of been floating around for even longer than that.
1: Yeah, I think so. The, the last record was in tw- at the end of 2021. Mm. Um, and so, and it was a breakup record called this is really going to hurt. And it was a very, it was very clearly and very concisely a breakup record. It was like a concept album almost where we did the, uh, the order of events post breakup on the track listing. So like the first track of the record is, is like written, you know, minutes after the actual breakup occurs. And then the second one is two weeks later and, and all the different sort of feelings and, you know, the anger or the sadness or the eventually the acceptance, all of those things happen chronologically throughout the record on our second record. And so, you know, we're back, you know, a year and a half, two years later with, you know, a kind of a response to that record, which is, you know, um, a record about love and, and, you know, it's really just written within the, really within the context of my relationship with my partner, who's, who's a singer too, Billy Martin, she's called. And she, um, you know, she put out a record kind of written, uh, kind of corresponding to our one this year as well. So there's like a kind of an autobiographical through line going on. It's kind of a little bit It's sort of artistically heightened, obviously, but, um, you know, we, we tried again to do it with this record where we would sort of have the free speech roll as the first track. And it's sort of asking someone to start a relationship saying, let me be this and let me be that. And then, throughout the record, it kind of settles in more and more into a relationship until you're kind of on songs like Even On Bad Days, which is sort of like you're inside this relationship. Now you're past that moment of initial excitement and you're sort of, you're settled in, you're moved in together. There's exploring things in that, in that sense. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny though, because we, we do have to kind of make them years before, if you know what I mean. So when the, when the kind of the happiness of the, um, sorry, someone's moving some stuff around us, but, oh, there we go. Um, the perils of being in a rehearsal studio. Um, when we, um, when we put out the breakup record, I was actually already way past that. And, you know, and in that, that, that happy relationship that this record is now about. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, um, and then we made uh, the the record that's just come out now about a year and a half ago. Um, so it's funny just how long sometimes things take to actually see the light of day. Um, but, you know, there's there's a song called Chelsea Smiles on the record, which we had sort of teased, you know, like a year ago or a year and a half ago just on social media. And and it feels like that one, like people already know that song. People I've seen people cover that song you know, and, and now it's actually out, like since Friday it's been out for the first time and it's funny, it just feels like an old song. Um, that's yeah. what I'd heard.
0: I think, um, I think, where did I read it? I read it somewhere. I think Chelsea Smiles almost kind of started in its first iteration, maybe about six or seven years ago and then has changed, evolved, grown. And then as you've said, it's kind of built up this almost weird cult thing that has, is is unusual for a song that's only been released last week
1: yeah it is an odd one I mean and that's really just to do with our writing process because we had that um do, 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 chord progression um we had that about six seven years ago just as a core progression and we'd sort of you know be stoned and like tinker around on the acoustic guitar and just be like play that chord progression again and then we'd play it and be like that's cool that's still cool and we just never <laughs> quite we never quite located the companion chord progression to go with it because it was a sort of kind of a three chunk chord progression that then needed an extra section um and we ended up um we ended up finding another section for that like melodically and quarterly um uh, about uh sort of four years later and um we uh we then had the complete melody but then we it took us another year or so to, to actually write the words to it, because for us having melody before words is really, really difficult. We just find it such a, I mean, an almost impossible task sometimes to just actually fit the lyric to the melody once the melody is, is clearly established. Um, I guess because a melody sort of implies the limitations of what you can write about to a certain extent there's there's a there's a finite amount of kind of lyrical equations that will perfectly slot with that melody and mm-hmm. Nick and I are very we're very persistent in terms of like have we got the absolute best version of what this can be um anyway it was so funny and we ended up we ended up writing sort of three different versions lyrically one was a sort of football violence song. One was a sort of an ode to London. Another was a sort of a love song about a girl, Chelsea. Because once we had that title, Chelsea Smiles, we, we kind of realised it was a kind of three-edged meaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so, so we kind of wrote three different versions of that lyric and then uh, wrote them all down physically on paper and then cut them all up, each line with scissors, and then just randomly ordered, like, collaged the lyrics. It was just mm-hmm. it was, like, we really don't write in there that sounds so arduous it was actually but like we really normally especially with this record have written pretty quickly and with a certain level of ease but that particular one it's funny it just was one of those just I think for every sort of three songs that you can write fairly quickly and, and sort of and and in a kind of Fairly instinctive way without having to overthink or be too academic about it. There's always one that you do just you're just always working on. You're always tinkering on. <laughs> you're always stuck on it. You go, should we look at that one again? It's like, oh god, but it's so funny because over the years we've learned that those ones, if you persist, they can, they really can be the you know people's favorite sometimes. So you know, it's worth always persisting.
0: One hundred percent. I um, I love the kind of I think you even mentioned it then in terms of the. The way that yourself and um and nick write with the music i listening to the record as i said it is a stunning record anyone who's listening to this podcast there are sh- uh, links in the show notes to listen to the record um but i think that traditional kind of folk music or like very good kind of folk music um has this kind of timeless quality to it and i feel that these songs although like folk music does tend to be evergreen, how much intention is put into these songs, kind of being able to be not just of the moment, if that makes sense, you know?
1: Mm. Well, that's, uh, that's, it's, it's such a good question you're asking that because that is, that, that is a, the fundamental question that Nick and I always ask ourselves. That's the kind of our primary objective is to make sure that the song will not only be deeply unfashionable in its own time, but will <laughs> continue to be, you know, forever and ever. Um, we just, we just want a song to be, yeah. It's, I mean, I guess the easy word to use is timeless. It's kind of an easy word to bandy about and people like to say it a lot, but I think ultimately the quickest and easiest way we've found in order like, to to kind of achieve that particular feeling, it really comes down to settling into your fight this is this is I'm I'm, I'm I'm trying to think in advance as a way to a way to say this without sounding very cheesy and pretentious but it's <laughs> finding you know, it's finding, it. finding your finding your finding your truth and what I mean by that is 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 knowing that what it is that you're writing about what's coming out of you in, in the end and I think I think largely I mean like in terms of lyrical content those words need to be so, so true to you. You know, they have to, you have to know that you'll be able to go night after night, you know, on stage and sing that song and still feel it and still know it and still understand it um, in terms of what it means to you. And I think, and, and you know, I think avoiding kind of anything that will pin you into into your own era, I guess I mean like sort of mentioning things like iPhones or you know like texting or I don't know mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, you know just like staying as emotionally true to yourself as possible oddly kind of means that you you then sort of start stepping more into the Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. into the realm of the infinite because when you really lock into a proper proper truthful feeling that you truly can kind of understand what you've done there is you've accessed something that's ancient because there's no such thing as as a as a as a brand new never before felt feeling or or dilemma or you know consideration as to you know we 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 deal ultimately, in especially in these last two records, with 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 relationships, with love, and relationships and friendships, and and those things those things are timeless. So if you have managed to not be contrived, and I mean emotionally contrived uh, in any mm-hmm. way, then you'll absolutely be fine. And I think that we we do also try and mirror that in the the melodies that we right too you know we we try to avoid chord progressions that feel too traditional or, or sort of nostalgic you know um and 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 even though you know obviously our influences are, are probably older music um we also just try and make sure that the you know if the feeling that you're listening to like kind of old-fashioned type chords or old fashioned type melodies is avoided and also avoiding, you know, modern sounding melodies too. You know, it's just, it's just about finding again, the correct, the most truthful melody, the core progression that feels like it serves the melody and the sentiment of the song as much as possible. That's the only thing you concern yourself with. So you don't, you never think about style. You never think about the context in which you're putting the music out. You never reference other people's music. You just never think about anything except the actual emotional thrust of why, this song is going to exist. And once you do that, I think that's your best shot at achieving something timeless.
0: 100%. I'd be so curious to know, Will, I guess your own introduction to songwriting, is that kind of where I guess you got your initial knowledge of of what we've just discussed in terms of, of keeping things, not of that moment, as you said, timeless keeping things that are, yeah, not as mentioning iPhones or Pages, Blackberries. Just using tech as an example—horrible example—I apologize, Banks. but yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'd love to know where you kind of got your introduction to songwriting, and then I guess the the parameters of how you wanted to be as a songwriter.
1: Yeah, I think I I think I couldn't give you a a really clean answer to that because I actually haven't really stopped to think about it really because we have been going as songwriters and as people in bands or as, you know, artists or whatever you want to call it since we were children, you know, since we were nine, 10 years old. I mean, the first song I wrote, I think I was about nine. Um, and at that point, you're not quite aware really of what it, you know, you are just, that age you're just drawn to something and you're doing it. And, um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't even stop to think what I was doing really. I think I suppose I could try and sort of remove myself from that for a second. I mean, my 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 family were um English teachers and sort of actors and they loved Shakespeare and there was lots of there was performers and like people who were interested in words in my family. And that I think mm-hmm. is probably a factor for sure. But for for me, music was my opportunity to do something that was nothing to do with my Either of my parents or my brothers, and I could just carve out my own. I'm a middle child. I have kind of divorced parents, and everyone's kind of quite big personalities. So it was my way of, of finding my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think f- through that there was always a desire, even really early on as a teenager, to 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 not to not be a part of my own time. I think I didn't I didn't get introduced to any music. I got, yeah, I think inadvertently I did a little bit get introduced to music, um, some music from my parents, but they weren't a, a musical family really. So a lot of the music I, I, I was discovering early on, it was sort of um, by accident or by, you know, busking, you know, on my high street in the city I grew up in and then going to the CD shop and buying, a, you know, a few CDs that maybe got recommended or I just liked to look at the cover. I remember I used to go to school with my CD Walkman and sort of hide my, headphones up my blazer sleeve and just sit and just throughout the, every single day and just listen to CDs I'd bought and, and you know Joni Mitchell Blue when I was sort of 13 14 was like a huge huge awakening Bob Dylan I think Beatles have been sort of omnipresent in my life just as a an English person actually just as a human being yeah <laughs> since I was sort of like three years old so that that to me that 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 those four musicians are sort of like my religion in a weird way, where I sort of, I think I know every single thing about that band ever. And I could, you know, I could just, I could probably sit down on a goose guitar and sing you every song they ever wrote. You know, I just, that, so that's very much in the fabric of it all. So some really boringly obvious, like early influences. Um, but I guess, I guess it's, it's through companionship and through, you know, thinking of it as, as a, as a craft and, and, and having, you know, um, you know, the pressure pretty early on in, in our twenties, once we got really properly going to really try and excel, you know, and we all, we were always told by any, any wise person in the industry that we came across that it was all about the songwriting, you know, it could, could be about other things too, but as long as you could write good songs then you would always have a career. And so there, there was always a, you know, I, uh, I'm sure that most people are told that, but maybe maybe not enough because sometimes it does feel like, especially now, people are, you know, uh, maybe the, the the current like teenage generation will be encouraged to be more social media focused, maybe spread a little more thinly and and not consider. You just have to put so much time in to songwriting. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things you just have to do. You don't have to put 10,000 hours in, you have to put, you know, a hundred thousand hours in. It's just one of those things where the more you do it, the better you'll get. And, um, it's not something you can ever kind of rest on your laurels with. So, you know, I, I, I wonder, um, cause for instance, when people are sort of signed to record companies now, uh, I mean, we write songs for people. Too, that, you know, outside of flight and, and a lot of the time we'll have, you know, young people sort of sent to us for us to kind of write, write songs for them. And it's just, and it's sort of a bit like, why are you doing that? You know, I mean, well, we can do that, sure. But like teach them how to be encouraged that, you know, they, that's their job. That's exact, this is exactly what they should be doing is writing that, you know, this is the beginning of, you know, a very tall mountain. They should be beginning to, to climb up, you know, mm. And so it's sort of, I do worry sometimes There's a sense that music industry kind of commodifies young people based on their sort of social media following and go, well, we just need to get them a few songs and, you know, we could shift a few units and get more, get our data and our stats higher and stuff. And, you know, really it's, 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 it's a long, long journey songwriting. It's a, it's a big slog. You have to write maybe, maybe a hundred really bad songs before you can write a good one. And, um, you know, yeah, you've just got to encourage people to look at it in, in terms of just a really, really long-term thing. But maybe I'm projecting because, I mean, that's just what happened with us. But, um, sorry, okay. very long answer to your question.
0: <laughs> no, 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 I, I appreciate it. I prefer the long answer, but I think there's some definite truth to what you're saying as well. I know that, and I don't want to name and shame any young artists that do have a predominantly large social media following, but you, you kind of tend to see that they'll release those one or two songs, but then the music career will just kind of drop off. There's no longevity with it. It seems that it's, um, I feel like almost, as you said, labels kind of capitalizing on it, but also um, that it, it seems like that when there is that challenge of the mountain, using your analogy, that they kind of begin to climb and then don't have any interest in it.
1: Yeah well and perhaps that is just that's just a certain type of person who was never going to climb up that mountain in the first place you know exactly. and that's fine you know and i do know i do know some really fantastic songwriters who who are you know um in their late teens or early 20s who have had a little moment as they say on tiktok for instance mm-hmm. and and they then continue to to write and get better and better and you know there's nothing wrong with the medium of tiktok necessarily i think it's more to do with just I think over prioritizing what that is, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's just a, it's just a platform to promote something that's actually bigger than the platform itself. And I think sometimes people get a bit confused and, and think that the TikTok success is greater than the actual creative merit of being a good songwriter. And, you know, and I can understand why that is because one's instantly gratifying and the other is a, it's a really <laughs> difficult long, long-term slog.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yes, it is sometimes obvious but sometimes it's kind of missed as you mentioned um i'd love to know i know you earlier you mentioned billy martin who's your partner as uh, she does make an appearance on this self-titled third record as does the lovely uh sorry lovely laura marling um how did these kind of collaborations come about it's kind of obvious that why billy might have gotten involved but i guess at what point did you think hey maybe we'll get her on one of these tracks
1: um, well, yeah, like I think with the Billy song that she sings on is is was written for her very quickly. Actually, Nick and I had the the little uh, tagline in the chorus and the melody of the song, but we hadn't I hadn't filled in the lyrics yet in the verses. And and she was feeling she was having some like um some blues. We were just kind of sat up in bed one night, and I was playing the guitar, and she was in a kind of bit of a blue funk. And I just remember being like, oh fuck, I'll just write these. I write these lyrics really, really quickly to cheer cheer her up, you know, and um, that was quite early on in our relationship, and it was that was a nice feeling. I was like, oh God, there was a, just an actual like active purpose to mm-hmm. writing those words, it was mm-hmm. just to cheer her up. I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't taking the song too seriously. So that, anyway, it ended up being like, you know, a year later, maybe when we were actually recording the song, and I was like, actually, that's so. That's actually so ideal that there's a song that really, really properly is sort of just in the fabric of that particular relationship that is being written about, and it felt really appropriate to have her sing on it to kind of highlight that. Um, but Laura Marling um, is, you know, is 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 a, is, a, is a sort of a friend who lives around the corner. We we don't know each other extraordinarily well. We don't, we kind of we've only known each other, you know, really properly in the last sort of two three years and and uh she had um i think she'd shared a song of us i think it was losing you when the second record was coming out on uh you know instagram or something like that and we're like oh my god Laura Marling's listening to our (laughs) stuff you know that was really cool for us and so um in the end i think one of the practical aspects of why she ended up you know agreeing to come and sing on it because she's not someone who says yes to anything she's a very Mm -hmm. kind of um She's very, very, I think one of the reasons she's got such a great reputation and this sort of almost kind sort of a mythical quality to her is that she's very good at saying no, you know, to yeah. things. Um, but, you know, we uh, were working with Don Monks. He was engineering the record at the time, and, and he, he uh, along with Ethan Johns, had made her recent records. And, um, you know, he, we just said maybe Laura could sing on this. I think it would be perfect for her, like in the second verse. It would be great to have her because this sort of song is basically a bit of a dialogue between two people in a relationship. So it felt like it would be fantastic to have someone feature. And um, we just, Dom just texted her sort of not very hopefully. And then she instantly was like, yeah, brilliant. I'll just pop up. And she was just down the road and she just came straight in and it took about two hours. And then she did it. And we all smiled at each other and then she left. It was as simple as that really. And you know what was also very funny is that Will Reese from the band called The Mystery Jets, um, was also in the studio. He he was overdubbing some ideas on that track already. So he was already in the studio. And the last time she'd done a duet like that was with that band Mystery Jets Mm. sort of maybe 10 years prior in that same studio. It's a song called... um, Uh, Young Love. uh, Young, Young, Young Love. Yeah, exactly. And they'd recorded it at (laughs) Conk Studios, which is where we were recording in North London. So I thought that we all sort of shared a little moment there about that. It was quite, quite interesting.
0: I absolutely love that. Very um, serendipitous almost. <laughs> um, totally. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> well, I know that, as you said, um, you've been on tour the last few uh, last few weeks in America, at least. I know you've been touring this year. It might seem like a little bit of an obvious question, but obviously, because we are down here in Australia, I do have to ask, can we expect to maybe next year um, see you here in support of the record?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is... I can't promise anything, but I mean, that's something that we're... The thing is, if we were to come over, we'd probably only come over just Nick and I because it's so expensive to get everyone. The issue we have is that we sort of have this wonderful band in the UK that can really reproduce the entire record, um, sort of six-piece altogether, including Nick and I. And when we go out to America, we just just sort of started being a Mm four-piece. But, you know, whenever there's sort of a new frontier, we've never gone over and... Um, it's such a funny risk when you're crossing the entire, literally the, going, going to the opposite end of the earth, because mm-hmm. you go, you know, <laughs> if, if there's going to be like a thousand people there who will buy a ticket and come see us, then it's totally worth it. But Maybe we will go all the way to the other end of the earth and about 20 people will be there. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, and you never know until you try it for, you know, try it once. So I think it's just about, you know, rolling that dice, which I think we will do next year. Absolutely
0: regardless of what iteration of the lineup that we do receive um I'll, two, three members whatever we get we'll gladly take so i very much appreciate you <laughs> for um okay. allowing me to ask yeah. that um will thank you very much for coming on to the podcast i do appreciate it and congratulations on the new flight record it is out now we'll have links within the episode show notes for people to um, purchase the record but thank you again for coming on to the podcast
1: oh thank you simon uh, it has been a lovely chat